Hello and welcome to the Total Quidditch podcast, a place where we talk to the people who make Quidditch what it is and give them an opportunity to share their stories and experiences of the sport. I'm Fraser and I'll be your host. On to episode 15 now, so halfway through our second series, and it's time for us to visit a new country. We're off to Central Europe to speak to our first German guest on the podcast. This player is one of Germany's greatest chasers and tactical minds, not to mention a good friend of the show, whose reputation as one of the top players in Europe has steadily grown over the years, along with Germany's rise to prominence in the sport. From Reiner's Bonn and the German national team, it's Leander Troll. Guten Abend. <laughs> good evening. Hello, Fraser. Nice to, uh, nice to be here. Yeah, and thanks for the flattering introduction. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome, you're welcome. Uh, li we, we live to please here on the, on the pod. <laughs> uh, how are you doing? How are you coping with pandemic life uh, over in Germany? Yeah, so far so good. Uh, I think I, yeah, I can consider myself very lucky. Um, yeah, I'm healthy. healthy. Uh, all my friends and family are too. Um, still have my job. <laughs> Um, and I'm even working on a, on a cool Corona project uh, with my girlfriend. We're building a camper van at the moment. And yeah, we plan on traveling a bit in the second half of the year. Okay, sounds all pretty positive. I'm kind of making the most of the free time to find extra things to do. And uh, yeah, that camper van project does sound uh, pretty exciting. <laughs> Super. Yeah, yeah, it's good fun. Good fun. Building is good fun, and then traveling will hopefully be. <laughs> let's, see, let's see how far we can get. <laughs> yeah, quite literally, quite literally. Uh, yeah. We'll jump into it now. Uh, so, going back to the start of your time with Quidditch, how did you get into the sport? Kind of, did, what sports had you done beforehand, and kind of what attracted you to Quidditch uh, specifically? Um, well, yeah, I did some uh, other sports before playing Quidditch, uh, like tennis with my dad and friends uh, here and then, and I played soccer for a while, um, yeah, actually several years, and I tried a bit of surfing and stuff like that, but nothing ever stuck, so I was never a very competitive sports person, more like looking for fun and exciting games, I would say. And yeah, nothing ever hooked me the way Quidditch did. So <laughs> that's that's my special sport, I guess. Mm -hmm. But how how did you how did you start playing? Or what was your sort of beginnings in the in the sport? I did a semester abroad in Canada, in Vancouver, and uh, during the orientation week, I, I ran into the Thunderbirds, and that was the local team. And they kind of invited everyone to come to the tryout and uh, they explained the basics of the sport and they had like a, a small demonstration going. And they seemed to be really fun people and uh, I decided to go. And well, it was like a taster session, but it was also the tryout for the season. Um, so I was, yeah, I was already expecting it to be interesting and a bit more competitive even. Um, and there were loads of people that showed up and I, I never saw thing before so yeah it was it was amazing and uh even though i got injured in this uh taster session oh, 
even quite badly, I tried to tickle <laughs> someone because you know, <laughs> you yeah, what what you do on your first uh, uh, tryout and um, huge chunk out of my uh, my lip because I didn't have a mouth guard. Um, yeah, and I actually had to go to the hospital and. The only thing that really uh, annoyed me about it was that I had to wait to go to the next practice. So I knew that this sport was, was going to be something for me because it, it hooked me so badly. <laughs> okay, sounds uh, like a pretty full-on introduction to the sports that while you're studying in Canada, you go, oh, okay, I'll try this new sport, why not? Obviously, you said you mentioned you, you like to try lots of different sports. And uh, obviously got pretty stuck in quite early on. And, uh, yeah, I guess at that point, did you feel like this was going to be your thing going forward or did it take you a while to really sort of take Quidditch seriously? I, I think I really loved it from the start because it, it combines so many fun things like like running, throwing, catching, tech, all the, all the stuff that Quidditch really is. And then the people were amazing. And even though the weather was completely horrible uh, during that time, it was kind of, yeah, winter, you could say. And they, they call it Vancouver for a reason. It was raining <laughs> all the time, but I still loved the practice. And, yeah, I knew it was going to stay for a while. Um, but I also knew I was going back to Germany, and I didn't know if there was, like, if there were any teams in Germany. So... I didn't really think too much about it, so I was enjoying it at the moment, and then came back to Germany. Well, okay, that's uh, pretty nice to hear. So, obviously, initially starting out with the UBC Thunderbirds uh, in Vancouver, playing in, I guess, the Canadian Quidditch scene. And of what, uh, what was that initial sort of few few months playing like? Kind of what memories do you have from that time? Um, I, I remember it being uh, a complicated sport, but I just made the most of it um, with with just I don't know doing what I could do from like running into spaces like I would have done in soccer, for example, or um, tried to communicate a lot, and that way I learned a lot, I guess. Um, and actually, I was lucky enough to uh, be able to join the team to go to a tournament to uh, in the USA, even tournament uh, at some point during the season. And I think there was another tournament uh, at UBC or close by. So yeah, I actually got some playing time and even some yeah actual um, match time. Um, and that was amazing because they were all really experienced and they had uh, been playing Quidditch for a while, other sports as well. But um, yeah, the Thunderbirds were like, there were a lot of like veterans uh, that had years of experience and that I could learn a lot from. So yeah, it was a really, really great introduction to the sport. Yeah, certainly sounds like it. Uh, yeah, sounds like you got some good fond memories from your time in Canada. Um, of course, you then, as you said, you returned to Germany after that. And when you returned, you formed the, the Rhinos Bonn team uh, in Bonn, funnily enough. 
Um, and yeah, obviously uh, started playing Quidditch in Germany from there. So how did this team come about? And you know, how did your experience of playing in Canada help with setting up uh, the Rhinos? Um, I think it was Christian's idea. I'm not sure if um, he came up with it alone or uh, together with Momo. She she was a, a friend of his as well. And they invited me um, to come along for the first practice because Christian had seen that I was had been playing Quidditch in Canada as well. He had spent the same semester uh, in Canada as well, but in Toronto. And he had seen on Facebook that, yeah, someone else from Bonn is playing Quidditch, apparently. <laughs> so, um, well, yeah, so he invited me. And then we just all brought our friends to practice. And we, we like, all, like, I reckon all team starts like that, uh, start like that. Someone building hoops from PVC piping and <laughs> buying quaffles and bludgers and just everyone bringing broomstick-like things to, to try and play. And yeah, in the beginning, it wasn't like very tactical or anything. It was just people playing Quidditch. Um, yeah, and we did it in like a public park. So more and more people saw us playing and then they joined the team. And we started, we, we all tried recruiting our friends. And yeah, that's, that's how it came about, actually. Okay. That's a good job that Christian did his uh, research and found you online and uh, got, you, got you involved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was amazing. We only knew each other from one evening before that um, because we, we both got the same kind of um, grant to go to Canada from our university. We were studying totally different subjects and we didn't know each other before that. And well, then coming back and starting a team together, that was pretty cool. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so in that season, so the 2015-16 season, uh, you as the Rhinos competed in your first German championship uh, this early 2016. And you won, you became the German champions in your first year in existence of beating other established teams like Darmstadt and Free River Dragons Passau along the way, um, who'd already competed at EQC. So how do you look back on that tournament? And did you expect to have such great success so early on in Bond's history as a team? <laughs> uh, well, I think it's, it's one of my, my most cherished Quidditch memories, uh, that tournament, because we were so... Um, lightheartedly just going there having fun we were we just went there and thought well we'll do our best but we didn't really expect to win the tournament um nobody expected us to and maybe that was what pushed us in the end to to um exceed some expectations <laughs> i don't know um but well yeah we just we were i think we were 14 people and nobody knew that what would happen after that tournament we just went there and had really good fun and then someone mentioned okay now we have an EQC spot and people were asking what's the EQC what what is that <laughs> and and then uh someone said yeah it's like a tournament in Italy and um the best teams from all the countries can go there and well nobody was like actually in the know what that would mean so so people were like nah, nobody's gonna fly 
somewhere else for Quidditch, right? <laughs> but we all, like all 14 ended up going there in the end. And it was just amazing. It was amazing for the team and it was amazing for, for all of us to, to have this experience together. Yeah, good memories. Yeah, I, I really love that how you just had no idea that there was like a European Championships and that like do, doing well within Germany meant that, oh, we can, we can go to this tournament. It, it all sounds very kind of, yeah, very casual in a way. <laughs> yeah, it kind of was. It kind of was casual. Like our tactics definitely were. Like we were, <laughs> we had no idea what we were doing, but we just, yeah, we were we were going on the pitch pretty confidently and like, okay, we're we're some athletic people and we can just go go there, have fun, and we will definitely do our thing, and well, it kind of worked, um, and even we even made some uh, friends at that tournament. I think it it took Darmstadt some time to <laughs> to like us again after that but um yeah in the end uh i i can i can say looking back that at that tournament the the yeah the mentality and the yeah kind of like friendship between german teams came about in that tournament i think yeah i guess, I guess so because i guess at that point in german quidditch there were, there were a few teams the previous season who uh, from from what I know the situation, kind of played a few matches here or there, and they got invited to EQC. But it wasn't till this season where German Quidditch really got going and had these big tournaments and things. So, yeah, still kind of getting to know each other and forming these relationships between teams. Yeah, exactly. And then cheering each other on at the EQC and all that kind of, yeah, helped with a community feel. Mm -hmm, for sure, for sure. Um, 2016 is also a pretty significant year, uh, not just for German Quidditch, but also for well, the, the world of Quidditch as a whole, because that's when the, the World Cup happened in Frankfurt. So obviously a home World Cup for uh, the German national team, uh, which you, of course you were selected for, um, kind of your first year playing in Germany. Uh, so could you tell us about the tournament? Um, and kind of this historic moment, obviously, with Australia winning and all of that. Um, kind of, what were you as German, Germany, like the national team, what were you hoping to achieve going into that tournament? And what was it like playing as the host nation? Well, yeah, I certainly remember it being, um, like, having an historic feel about it because it was so big. It was, like, the biggest British thing I had experienced so far. So, um it was amazing to be there and to actually be selected for the uh, for the team and to play with all of my friends, like older friends that I brought to the sport or uh, newer friends that I met in the sport. And yeah, because it was in Germany, uh, my family and friends could come visit and watch some, some games. So that was really cool. Um, and yeah, it, it was just a really big, well-organized tournament. And I saw the potential that the sport actually has um before that the tournaments that i attended were smaller of course and then i saw okay people actually come here from all over the world to play this game um i mean i loved it already but in that in that situation i could see that people actually pay money to do it and 
like take on big like risks to go there and maybe lose all their games and just go back home or stuff like that um just because it's such a good sport and such a such a great community um yeah and it was amazing to be um the host nation although like i didn't have any anything to do with organization and stuff like that i knew some of the people that did and i knew how much work they put in it and it made me really happy how uh, to see how how well it turned out in the end so um the the jump start it gave to the german quidditch as an ngb um because so many people came to watch from all over germany and then i think like in the light of this tournament kind of started their own teams it was just a, a big hype um that came about um because of this tournament yeah definitely it was a pretty momentous occasion as we said and uh yeah um i i remember it quite well because i was i was one of the referees for the opening game of the tournament was obviously germany against norway and like you could just kind of feel this anticipation in the air because you had all of these german people and some people knew what quidditch was and they were turning up because they were interested in the sport and they were coming to see the world cup and then some were like oh there's a tournament on this weekend oh it's quidditch okay let's have a look um and obviously it was, uh, I think it was like Sports Deutschland, like the the live stream as well. Um, so you had all these ways that German people could really engage in the sport. Um, this sort of really tense opening game with the Norwegians to start off with. Um, and yeah, kind of that whole anticipation is, as we've also discussed with other guests about that tournament, um, that kind of realisation that, oh, people travel all this way and they commit so much to the game and I think it really opened the eyes to, to many and kind of encouraged a lot of people to really get invested and take it seriously yeah definitely and and another thing a very positive experience um like maybe it was the road to world cup already but playing on the national team I felt like there is a big potential um in all the these rivaling club teams coming together in a national team and sending their players and then kind of yeah i think i never experienced it like that in a in a soccer uh, environment or anything or in other sports but people like lifting each other up rather than putting each other down like even coming from different teams like rivaling club teams and i think in that um like in that situation we 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 set like a good foundation for the for the growth um, of german quidditch and we, it didn't feel like a conscious de decision, but in the end, looking back, I think we already set like a foundation for helping each other and like looking for development and rather than uh, competition at the, as the first priority. Yeah, that's quite interesting. That's something we discussed before, obviously, with Quidditch being quite a new sport, you know, people having to band together and w really cooperate. But also you can consider other sports where say, I don't know, the, the club game within that sport, say, I don't know, football or basketball is considered much more important. And those rivalries can be quite sort of conflicting in a national team. But, yeah, try putting the, the national team success and uh, progress as the first priority, um, obviously, has set you guys in good stead. Um, so as we mentioned there, following the tournament, there was this massive boom in recruitment across Germany. We saw the creation of so many different teams and leagues and all sorts of things. 
Um, I think there's about, I want to say about 50 teams, like sort of following this tournament. But I, I, I don't know exactly the numbers, but there's a lot of teams, basically. Um, what, what do you think contributes to this surge in popularity? What do you think it was about the way the tournament was run or Quidditch as a sport? What do you think um, was the key to this success? I think um, all the all the good work that people like uh, Juliane Schillinger or, or Nina Heise at the time, uh, president of the DQB, um, or I think her title, Juliana's title was press secretary or something. Um, they were basically um, putting in so many hours to make this tournament go well. And even in the aftermath, put in a lot of work to uh, help others start teams. And I think um, they, like, they deserve, deserve all the credit um, for, the, for the boom in Quidditch um, because they made everyone, uh, actually enabled everyone to actually uh, found teams. Um, the tournament itself was really well run and um, also the, like the coverage, uh, like you mentioned before, like it, there was a live stream and people could watch the games even if they couldn't uh, come to Frankfurt to, to watch them live. Um, so that was really well, well done. And um, yeah, also there was a lot of social media work and people that came there uh, were just hooked by the good atmosphere, by the great uh, gameplay, by what they could tell was people actually taking it seriously, but still having so much fun. So they just wanted to join in, I reckon, <laughs> and founded their own teams. Okay, it's like a real combination of things. And obviously, all the great work that Juliana and Nina did um, in terms of the organization of things, massively helpful then, yeah. Just the whole, I guess, environment of the tournament. And, uh, the, I, I always found it quite interesting because obviously within Quidditch, um, there's so many different aspects and lots of different sports in play. Um, you've got you've got elements like handball, and uh, like rugby and kind of dodgeball and things. And like some people are kind of turned away from the physical side of things. And I guess with Germany, it's not necessarily known as a country that's been sort of big on contact sports, but obviously loves a bit of handball and is very kind of talented across lots of other sports. The uh, I guess there's lots of different elements that really appealed to to the German people who watched and attended the tournament. Definitely. And maybe some of them dreamed of starting a team that could lead to sending players to the national team and being part of a historic moment like uh, Australia beating the USA. And yeah, I think that would just fuel the growth. And what you said, we don't have a big reputation for contact sports, so people don't have too many opportunities to play a contact sport. So maybe that was something that Quidditch brought to the table, kind of a new contact sport, like a new opportunity to try out something new that was not soccer. Um, yeah. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, the, obviously all these things are creating... I think Germany's now the second biggest like NGB in the world after the US. So it's really, it's really been uh, massively important from kind of having that initial experience. So uh, could, could you, could I, I guess, enlighten us on, I guess, Quidditch in Germany? Uh, could, you, could you explain to us like what 
what is like the German club season like? Kind of what tournaments, leagues do you have? You know, what what's it like playing in these in these tournaments and events? Yeah, so we have two really big tournaments um, plus a league structure. Um, so one big tournament is just it's open to all teams. So anyone you don't have to qualify um, to join in the, in the tournament. Like you can just go there. Um, and the, I think the last one was 35 teams or something attending. And that's a big summer tournament and it's good fun. And it, yeah, it's, it's also competitive, but it's kind of less important than the other one because the other one is the EQC qualifier and you can only uh, attend that tournament if you qualify uh, by being like p performing well in your regional league. So we have six regional leagues and different in strength um, and different in number of teams um, that are combined in that league. And well, it, it depends um, in which league you perform well, um, how many points you get, you get to kind of qualify for the EQC qualifier tournament. So if you, like maybe if you become third or fourth in Northern Westphalia, which is uh, the league that um, Bonn and Bochum are in, for example, um, you can very well get a spot for the EQC qualifier. While if you are in a weaker league, um, you can, yeah, become second and still not get a a spot in the EQC qualifier. So it it kind of it uses the placement of the teams in the league at the national tournaments as a proxy for the general strength of the league. And then that kind of determines uh, how easily you can qualify for the EQC qualifier tournament. Yeah, and the best teams from each league then um, play at this um, big EQC qualifier. Uh, and that's 16 teams. And there's also like a second tier um, for 16 more teams uh, that didn't qualify for the EQC qualifier. So there's also like a... Yeah, kind of priority on development and giving all those teams like the second half, like also uh, opportunities to actually play competitive games and gain experience. And I think that's also a very big plus in the German Quidditch scene. We focus on development and we focus not only on the three or four best teams, but on like growing the NGB as a whole. And then there's also uh, great fantasy tournaments like Wildlings Cup, um, which have yeah even an international reputation and they're recurring tournaments. So they you you already know um, at the beginning of your year um, there will probably be a Wildlings Cup, there will probably be a um, a Beach Cup or stuff like that, and then you know uh, which one do you want to go to, and you can kind of fit it into your year-long Quidditch schedule. Uh, in between the the big tournaments, kind of. Okay, that's a that's a pretty kind of comprehensive look at the the German Quidditch calendar. There, the I think the whole league structure is quite interesting. It's not really an infrastructure that I guess any other country really has. And kind of linking it in with like the other big tournaments, obviously having the EQC qualifier and going right. Well, we'll have the best teams from each of the leagues get to go into the EQC qualifier. So then everyone turns around and goes, oh, hang on a minute. We've got to really like 
the, these league fixtures really matter. And you've yeah. got to perform well in those. And then that feeds into obviously getting into EQC and doing well there. Um, yeah, sounds like there's there's a lot lots of chances to play Quidditch, um, which considering the size of the NGB and all the different teams, I think is massively important to give all of these people a chance to play and improve and uh, develop collectively. Yeah, definitely. There's been some debate if the league fixtures might even be too important. Um, so some teams say we want to more play the league like a like in a sandbox kind of environment. They want to just play games. Um, but on the other hand, like you said, having an actually competitive environment to play league games in uh, gives you a more worth, worthwhile experience. Um, so, yeah, always two sides to the same story. But I think it's it's great that we have a league and that we have so many opportunities to play Quidditch over the year. Not mm. at the moment, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. Um, and obviously, I guess, sort of two things I really noticed with German Quidditch is obviously you have a lot of Quidditch being played, but also... Tons of volunteers who get involved um, and make make these games happen. I know at an EQC level, whenever there's a European Championships, tons and tons of volunteers come from Germany to help out. And I assume it's also these same people who also run the leagues and the the tournaments within Germany as well. And then I guess on a competitive front, one thing I find really exciting as like a spectator and kind of following German Quidditch is you have kind of your established teams. Uh, at the top, but there's no like one dominant team. Uh, say, I don't know, in, in France, you go, oh, that's the Titans, that's, they're, they're the best team in France. Or you go, Belgium, oh, that's Antwerp. Or you go, Turkey, oh, that's the, the better unicorn. And in Germany, you go, oh, there's, there's Darmstadt, there's Bonn, there's Passau, there's Munich, there's Bochum. There's so many different teams, and kind of any of them can, can win on their day. Like they just need a few things to go their way, or they play really well or one team doesn't play so well so i think that's really exciting uh as a spectator although probably more stressful to play in if uh but also, i guess also fun at the same time though right yeah i reckon and then it's also great for the growth because if you can never be sure that you're going to be the dominant team you always have to keep adapting you always has always have to keep innovating you always have to look at like three other or maybe four other competitive teams that you have to prepare for when you go to a tournament um, or to an EQC qualifier tournament. And that makes you, like, you have to be very, very tactically versatile um, to compete in such an environment. So it helps all those teams uh, grow and keep growing. You can't be complacent in German Quidditch. Yeah, for sure. Got to stay concentrating. Uh, yeah, I'm sure uh, lots of people should... I, I really recommend checking out some some German Quidditch because, yeah, it is, is really exciting to see. Uh, so looking at the international stage again. So in 2017, you captained Germany at the European Games in Oslo. Where the team took a big leap up to the next level, winning... Obviously, that year we had the stack group format um, so Germany won the Pool B there, which got the mid-tier teams, and then went on to the quarterfinals, and then ended up finishing, I think, fifth 
uh, beating Turkey along the way, so claiming quite a big victory there. So how do you think things developed from 2016 to 17? Kind of what was the key to success that year? Who um I think um, a very, very important change was the national team uh, having more time to train together. Um, and we had a new coach, uh, Christian Simpleman, um, was our coach that year. And he is like, he's a tactical genius. He really um, motivated the team to try out new stuff. And he came up with great ideas. Um, and also, he kind of used the new potential coming from all the new players from all the new teams well i think um in our first year in in uh, 16 2016 um there was like a veteran squad with more experienced players um from from like more established teams and a couple of new players um and the two styles of of gameplay uh, that those two groups brought to the table weren't i guess like the it wasn't it didn't match as well as it could have uh, in our first year, but in our second year, like two, 2017, uh, Christian made good use of that, and um, yeah, so he used the potential more, I think, um, and also uh, the the team was just I think more motivated because we already had experienced a big tournament now, like in uh, 2016 most of us uh, had our first international tournament so we didn't know what was possible and then we had seen what all the other teams did and we wanted to actually compete with them so we really put a lot of effort into preparation for Oslo and yeah brought all the all the new tactics and all the new ideas uh, into that tournament I think it worked out well um, it was actually like it was pure joy for me uh, to be uh, one of my biggest idols. Uh, Turkish Quidditch was like highest level for me at that time. I, I watched a lot of uh, Turkish games uh, during that time, and um, I had seen like watching the the EQC final with the unicorns um, playing the dodos. It was just yeah, it inspired me to play. Ficord or Ahmed Can and meeting them in person on pitch and I think a lot of other German players were the same really looking forward to this game and yeah and the way it worked out was just amazing okay so I guess it's kind of a good use of the, the resource that you had obviously harnessing all these new players that had I guess, started playing in 2016 or kind of rose to prominence around 2016, 2017, around that time. And obviously having that initial experience uh, at the World Cup and kind of seeing how big this th this sport could be and obviously kind of, I guess, going into the World Cup blind and not really knowing what to expect and then going into, obviously, European games and going, okay, we, we know we're this good. Uh, we want to be up to... This, this next level here and having all these different ideas and obviously taking inspiration from, from Turkey and all other places um, to, to achieve that. And I think uh, something else that changed was the, the start or the beginning of um, what we got a big reputation for by now, 
um, trusting our females. Um, it, I don't remember it being as uh, present or as as uh, prevalent in in the year uh, of the German World Cup, like in in Frankfurt. Um, but in Oslo, they really they were like the backbone of the team, and they like in the fifth place match, um, we could only win it by in the end keeping the quaffle running down the clock because we were one goal ahead in overtime. And that was, that was only possible because we had really confident female quaffle uh, carriers um, and just keeping, keeping the quaffle on our side for a long time <laughs> uh, without losing it and running down the clock basically. And yeah, I, I was amazed how well that all worked out, but it was, I guess um, what we had seen as potential in the beginning of German Quidditch, um, and we thought that would that could maybe set us apart from other uh, nations where we saw uh, the females stood in the shadow of of the male players um, a lot more often, and yeah, also that worked out, and yeah, it helped us um, grow. And yeah, become fifth in Europe. So good times. Yeah, I, I believe it certainly made a difference uh, over that tournament. And it was quite noticeable seeing people like Hannah Grosser and like Nadine Cernek, like in the green headband. It wasn't really something that anybody was doing at that time. And I think a few people have tried to sort of recreate it since. Um, and as we, we saw, with the uh the european all-time draft last summer uh there was just so many different uh female chasers coming from germany um i guess potentially having like a sort of a sports background or maybe like a handball background having these excellent technical skills with the ball and have that 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 sort of self-confidence uh really making a difference uh both as individuals but also for the german team so as part of, uh, I guess, Germany's rise between 2016 and 17, and it's it's more or less been kind of a, a reoccurring theme with German Quidditch over the years. Germany's kind of become renowned in Europe, and I guess now world, worldwide, uh, for its like camaraderie and uh, team ethos. So when you think of Germany, I think on like a club level, you see the rhinos are there. Obviously, like your your big drum and like your your war chant, the the snapbacks and the the tracksuits all kind of you got this kind of brand going and then like you look at like the sports and the team you got the the team chants and the dancing the clapping the, so much enthusiasm um obviously in 2017 you had this big thing about mustard um which i'm sure we'll, uh, we'll discuss <laughs> about um um it, it, but it, it's it's something that's really kind of cultivated over time and previous guests have mentioned how hard it is to face the german team because the, the supporters get really into it and the team are really into it, they're really happy, really positive. So can, can you tell us about this mentality that you and the supporters have? Well, I think it's it's another one of those decisions that we made rather unconsciously in the beginning of this. But it just, like to me, looking back, it feels like we just decided that creating a positive atmosphere is what helps everyone feel better 
and you don't have to to put other teams down like maybe you would know from other sports like uh, i don't know soccer chants are usually not always friendly and <laughs> and uh, it just felt great doing that and then it it became like you said like a recurring theme um because it is so much fun to just dance at a tournament and to make other teams join in uh, to all the positivity and yeah i reckon we also noticed that it helped us on pitch because it just makes you uh, feel confident feel hyped and you you can just use all that joy as fuel for um, giving your best and you don't worry about the results too much and you don't put yourself under the pressure that you could feel playing for a national team for example uh as much and well yeah it, I, i i reckon in the end it's just because it's so much fun that it keeps on going like that yeah for sure the um, i i think well i've got kind of a few memories of i guess german quidditch down the years um which i think really stand out To me, I remember it, it, it even kind of existed at the 2016 World Cup as well um, within that team. And I remember I was refereeing the the Germany versus Australia match. And obviously, Australia went on to be world champions. They absolutely dominated this particular game. But beforehand, the German players were all very happy, high-fiving everybody, big smiles, jumping up and down with excitement. And then at the end of the game, like the scoreline was pretty one-sided. But then again, the whole German squad went out and high-fiving everybody, high-fiving all the spectators, supporters. And it's kind of like, wow, this team's just lost. But you really couldn't tell. Like, <laughs> it's like <laughs> win, lose, it doesn't matter. Um, so I guess like from a psychological point, as, as an opponent, you go, no matter what we do, they're fine. We're, nothing that we do is going to affect them, um, which I find quite interesting. Yeah, it definitely helps with sticking to a sport that you don't start as the best team in, of course. Like, we knew that we were going to lose to Australia, of course. Um, and so we weren't too worried about the result anyways. Um, but yeah, it was just, we had an amazing time. It was an amazing game. So why not celebrate it either way? Yeah, it's a, it's a good way of approaching things. Um, could you tell us about the mustard? Because... Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I think I, I still have some in my mouth guard. I'm sure some some others would like to know what nerf was going on with that. Uh, well, I I really I really don't know. Um, <laughs> it was just like at at training camps, um, people came up with ideas what you could eat, and so someone brought mustard. Someone. Um, was like well you spread that on your bread is that actually good like is that a thing where you come from uh, it wasn't um well we just we just had fun eating mustard and then we came up with chants um surrounding that theme and then it became a thing i don't know and then um well the team deemed it a great present for the captain <laughs> to give him like a, a 10 liter bucket of mustard um yeah nice mustard shower yeah i think i really think i still have some of that in my mouth guard or in some of my clothes yet <laughs> even though it was like four years ago so yeah and i spent i spent the finals of um 
the European games in Oslo, uh, trying to wash out mustard <laughs> <laughs> under the shower. Uh, and yeah, I only watched the, the snitch catch. <laughs> <laughs> wow. The, yeah, I guess you'll, you'll never forget it uh, in ways. Um, so I guess one of, one of my fond memories from that tournament um, when I was playing with Spain at the time, um, obviously Germany were in our group. And, uh, there was a point on day one where you guys lost to Austria. It was like a big shock. And um, I think Nadine, it was, he t- turned to us and went, right, guys, if you beat Austria, we'll throw you a big pasta party in the evening. We we're like, oh, okay. Not sure if that's like a proper request or like if that's a, a proper offer, but okay. We're, we're planning to beat them anyway. Um, then the game the game happens. We beat Austria and Germany finished top of the group. And uh, we in true true to her word, we had, we had this uh, pasta party uh, back at the, the the hostel we were both staying at. And um, I, I remember sitting around like having pasta, like chat with you guys, and I was sat next to Leon. It's the first time I ever met Leon Burgers. I didn't know how young he was. I think he was like, so like 17, 18 at the time, very young, but with his like shaved head, you, you just wouldn't know. And everyone does the, the mustard chant, which transla- translates to extra spicy mustard. And there's like clapping and chanting. Like <laughs> it was all very, but you didn't know what was going on because I had no idea what was going on. And seeing this guy right in front of me, it was all very intimidating. But yeah, I think that really kind of sums up Germany and kind of the way they do things and like they like to get involved with people and uh yeah have fun yeah definitely <laughs> super um so we're gonna go back to uh club game now um talk a bit about Rhino's Bond um so with the team uh you've had a bit of unfortunate luck uh EQC um in terms of the group draws tend to get drawn into these sort of I guess groups of death uh sort of down the years and which has led to you narrowly missing out on the upper bracket on multiple occasions. However in 2019 you stunned Europe by defeating the British champions uh London Quidditch Club in pool play to advance to the upper bracket for the first time. Uh so how did you approach this game or I guess the tournament in general? And how did your previous shortcomings in Europe motivate you uh, for success this time around? Yeah, well, as you mentioned, uh, so we had some unfortunate uh, group draws. Um, I'm not going to lie, I was bummed out quite a lot after being drawn into one group with Titans and NTNUI in the uh, 2019, no, 18 uh, EQC. Um, But yeah, we, we... we always try to approach uh, Quidditch with like more a uh, like a mastery oriented approach. Like we knew that we were like the underdog in most of those games, and we try not to focus too much on the results, but more on what we can learn from the game. Um, of course, going into it really ambitiously and trying to win, um, but we like we we kind of estimate like we make reasonable estimates so we knew that it was going to be hard to beat NTNUI and impossible to beat the titans um at that point in time um and so we were really happy to NTNUI was one of the best games that we ever played i think as a team um well, that is. yeah 
with Antonio, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, and well, in the end, we lost because of um, a great snitch catch, and it could have gone the other way as well. So, um, yeah, great day in my books. Um, and that I, I think that kind of approach, like going into those games and trying to take away from them um, like good learnings and experience to, that we can take to other games, like future games, um, is what kept us growing and kept us getting better. And, um, well, we, we always try to draw from uh, tactics that we watch with other teams. Um, and, like, going to the, uh, the EQC that we uh, had to face London in, um, there was a lot of footage um, at that time, there was good quality game footage that we could watch and we could um, just try to adapt our tactics to what London does or did at the time. So we knew that w what we were going to do and we knew that our, like, our usual tactics were already very, um, like, should be a good match to what they do. And we also developed some, like, especially like focused anti-London QC tactics um, beforehand and did a few drills um, to, yeah, to be able to actually compete. And, well, then I learned that I, like, I found out that I had like a, a work appointment on the Saturday of EQC, so I couldn't go uh, there personally. So that was, that really sucked for me. But um, I drove there um, after my work thing um, arrived at midnight, and on the way there, I uh, I heard that we actually beat them. So that was pure joy, and I think one of the biggest successes of the Rhinos. Um, and even though I wasn't personally there, I think it was it was like it felt so amazing that we actually secured that win. Um, that I don't think it's that bad that I didn't go there because the next day when I rejoined the team. And we had to play Velociraptors. We lost. So <laughs> maybe, maybe it's a success factor that I wasn't there. Um, well, anyways, so what we did was um, use our our strength and try to um, uh, try to beat them in the beater game, like a very very fast paced chaser game, which is not like London QC is not famous for a fast-paced offense, I would say. It's rather like a controlled, um, slow, tactical um, approach. And we try to do the complete opposite to surprise them and play like a, uh, a press and rush game. And yeah, also, but it, it definitely helped that we had a bludger control for most of the game. Um, so we could play our, our favorite, like our most favorite defense um, most of the time. But we also had like a preparation for the case that we didn't have bludger control. We didn't have to use it that much. But the times we had to use it, it worked pretty well. It worked out perfectly the way that we had planned for it. So yeah, I guess. And um, preparing for, for the uh, team, like for their approach, especially definitely helped yeah it certainly sounds like it but no obviously you couldn't be there to experience it for yourself and participate i imagine it must feel really satisfying to have done your research and have done all the training and preparation 
to play against this team and then to have it all work and achieve the one thing you've been sort of searching for for the last few seasons. Yeah, definitely. And I think we like some might say we were outmatched on a like person uh, by person basis, but like we played the better system in that game, and that was really satisfying to uh, to watch uh, on video afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, certainly sounds like it. Um, we did touch on that, this next question a little bit um, in the previous question. Uh, kind of one thing Bonn, and to an extent Germany as a whole, has gained a reputation for is that kind of that they're, they're pretty well renowned now for their tactical innovation within the European game. Uh, you think about things like the sort of uh, the introduction of triple bludger supremacy and the bond defences you mentioned before, set plays like the, the Ratatouille set play you got to run. So I guess without giving away all your secrets, I'm sure you want to keep a few things close <laughs> to your chest. Um, where do you draw inspiration for for these new ideas? Uh, do you re- replicate and like tweak ideas from other Quidditch teams exclusively? Or do you take things from other sports as well? I think I think the main uh, reason that we innovate so much is um, because we have to. Um, we we don't have like as as German Quidditch players we don't have excessive rugby background or um, experience with uh, sports that transfer all too well to Quidditch. So we have to come up with new ideas. We have to use our strength um, in in new ways. I, I think um, like. Like from my personal point of view, like with Bonn, we're not the tallest team on average. So the Bonn defense uh, that you mentioned, which is like a really high press situation, is it's a defense that that takes a big risk in not um, having a point chaser, but um, only covering receivers and uh, pressing the quaffle uh, with the beaters. Um, taking that big risk gives you the opportunity to intercept passes that you otherwise couldn't because you have like smaller players or maybe slower players or timing problems. So you just take timing completely out of the equation and you just play this defense in that way. So kind of making making the most out of like an apparent weakness and and playing the like make, setting the up the situation differently so it suits your strengths, um, which is the beater game in that case um, for us, is what what fuels those innovations. And then like on a more national level, I think it's it really helps that people that really like to talk tactics and really like to think about tactics and really like to come up with new ideas are uh, trusted players in the community. So, like most of those ideas come from people that have been uh, have been there for a while, and like when you're in the game for a while, you could you could become complacent and be like, "We've always done it that was, uh, that way. Let's keep doing it that way." But that's not how it runs, um, or at least I don't feel like that's how it runs in Germany. It's more like those people are trusted by newer players. So they get the chance to try out their new ideas. And then those actually have um, the opportunity to become um, yeah, really fine-tuned 
but new tactics, like new on a, on a European level, uh, international scale, um, but not very new to Germany because they already had uh, opportunities to try them out because people trust them to try them out and to, um, well, they actually fine-tune them. So I think, I think that's what makes us able to, to innovate as much. Yeah, so we don't, we can't take credit for um, inventing triple bludger supremacy. We stole that from the Norwegians um, at Intergalactic Cup in Turkey. All right. um, uh, some of them were already doing it quite successfully, like Meta um, and Merlin at the time. Um, and we were just trying to, like, we kind of systematically approached it in a in a way, and we tried to uh, teach our new ability to create and how to spot situations in which you can uh, exploit the uh, triple bludger supremacy. Um, so maybe <laughs> what we can take credit for is kind of systematically approaching it and rolling it out countrywide, <laughs> um, but not inventing it. Okay, that's, uh, that's very honest of you there. Um, ju ju just for the benefit of people who don't know what that is, that's when essentially that from my understanding of it, there's one beta who has a bludger who's kind of, and then the other two are on the floor. Is that right? Kind of, okay, you can probably explain it in more detail than that. <laughs> well, well, the idea is you can only, like, you get, um, it's a foul to manipulate a third bludger when you already have two. So, but if you don't touch the second bludger, but you have it under your control, it's like, it's technically not in your possession. So you can manipulate the third bludger because it's not a third bludger uh, by definition at that point in time. So in that case, you don't give the other team an opportunity to have control over even one single bludger. And that, that is a very powerful situation. Although it's not, it's not as easy to keep control over three bludgers when you're only allowed to touch two. Like it's still, it's still hard um, to actually play this. Um, so I wouldn't say it's, as broken as some some uh, some players view it, because yes. it still requires skill and like, um, yeah, what's it called? Um, chemistry between the beaters and really good communication to actually use that situation. Yeah, for sure, definitely like, hard to pull off. But when you do pull it off, it's obviously massively impactful within the game. But, uh, but yeah, overall, I think what you've described about the way that you in Bonn and also just in Germany in general have approached tactics and kind of evolving your game sounds really healthy um, and kind of both looking externally and seeing what other teams are doing, but also looking internally and going, okay, what are we good at? Okay, let's maximize this aspect of our game. Let's build a game plan around that. Oh, we have this weakness. Let's I don't know, improve that. Or you're really thinking about, yourselves within that and obviously on a national level sort of having that freedom to try out different things and really incorporate everybody i guess one yeah. thing i've really noticed with i guess german sport in general is that germany are very good at lots of team sports um you think about other things like football and basketball and things like that and that obviously germany is very good at and kind of having that collective focus rather than individuals I think has been massively important to German Quidditch 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're, that's a good observation there. I think um, like I can only speak for Quidditch because I'm like I'm not as deeply involved in other sports. But what I realized is that we can draw so much from um, using all those great minds and all those experiences from other sports that people bring to the team by like establishing a feedback culture, like a participation culture. There is not one guru coach that knows it all and that just tells everyone what to do. But we have, like, we talk about tactics with lots and lots of players. We just, there's not only like one or two people that invent everything, but it, it all comes from like a, like a big, like a, like a flock intelligence <laughs> mm. uh, kind of thing. And uh, making use of that by, yeah, what I said before, like these, this uplifting culture and positive culture is, is what definitely helps with an improvement over time. Yeah, definitely. Kind of building up everybody's tactical knowledge rather than one or two people having all of it. You can share that with everybody and make everybody better. And I think it also translates to the gameplay as well. I've, certainly when I've watched German Quidditch as opposed to, say, American Quidditch, American Quidditch can can be largely race, based around individuals. And you think of certain teams and you go, okay, this is their star keeper or their star beater. But within the German national team, and I guess a lot of German teams in general, you go, okay, this player's good and this player's good. And there's, there's a lot of very good players that make a good team rather than relying on one or two people to absolutely run the show. Yeah, and also a good system. I think we rely more on, on a good system than um, on individuals, as you said. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a very interesting way of uh, approaching the sport and approaching sport in general, I guess. Uh, so, uh, jump back to talking about the German national team again. Uh, so we're looking at the, the 2018 World Cup this time. So two years after hosting it in Germany, the home World Cup, uh, he went to Florence, Italy. And Germany took another step on the global stage. Uh, he beat Norway for the first time and kind of won those, I guess, like great rivalries on the, the international stage. He finally beat them uh, on day one of the tournament to end up topping the, the overall rankings of the tournament after the first day, um, which obviously left you in a pretty strong position going into day two, uh, where you reached the quarterfinals and then lost to Turkey. Uh, kind of, I guess Turkey taking the revenge from uh, the previous year. Um, and then ultimately you finished seventh in the world. So massively improving on 2016 and yeah, really making these big strides. So what was it like to firstly finally beat the Norwegians and how do you feel about that tournament considering you were top ranked after day one was there like a belief in the team that you could win the whole thing or <laughs> were you quite were you like, oh, hang on a minute let's play, play each game but what was the approach um well yeah uh, beating the Norwegians was great definitely we we knew we were facing a very very strong team they even uh, stole henna gross of, uh, from us for that tournament so um we knew it was going to be hard and then after beating them um maybe some of us thought everything is possible maybe we can go all the way um but looking at real we had like a really hard path in front of us and that in the next day is not going to be 
uh, easy. Um, like finding out that we were going to play Turkey definitely was like, okay, this is, this is going to be very, very tough um, because we all know Khan uh, Bullard as the strategic mastermind that he is. And he definitely, um, or the team definitely played their strength. And as I would say, even more um, effectively suppressed our strengths. They played a very, very conservative bludger game in that uh, in that match, and that way we couldn't um, play the fast pace and bludger control heavy game that we like, um, and that made us slow down. We couldn't play our game, so we had to play their game, and they knew their game better <laughs> than we yeah. did. So um, yeah, so that's how Turkey beat us, and I would say the the roster that we had for uh, for that year was very very strong um it might have been one of the strongest ones uh, that we had but i don't think we reached the full potential uh with that team and i think like looking back at it i i think it was um there was less of uh, mutual learning and less participation uh going on in that year than in the other years and it was more like a like a strong leadership approach in that year and i think um that kind of like it didn't it didn't help us with reaching the full potential and then losing our our game against turkey and uh like there was a lot of pressure um we all felt a lot of pressure and um yeah it was hard to come back from that so definitely um not the tournament that we all hoped for, um, but still good fun. And we learned a lot, like even psychologically for the whole team. Like we took away a lot of, um, yeah, I would say a lot of experience with uh, with losing and, and coming back from losing and um, lifting each other up, even though um, mistakes were made. Of course, like people make mistakes in games. And um, yeah, afterwards, not being too depressed, but like coming back from that and rising from that is is a big challenge, I think, and one of the bigger ones to overcome in in big tournaments. But I mean, we always had um, great motivational uh, support by by people like Sebastian Elster, who also so already like he in Oslo, he already managed to uh, pull us from the whole of, of losing against Austria. And um, he definitely helped with overcoming the loss against Turkey in, in Florence as well, uh, because he's just a, a really lighthearted person and a really great motivator. Um, yeah. So good and bad experience in that year, I would say. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Like a, a real mixed bag. We've got the highs of day one and going to the top of the rankings and I think I guess you, you, you said that it was quite important for the psych like what you learned like psychologically after that tournament um so if you really think about it I guess that's the first time where obviously you ranked number one after the first day and I guess for the first time for Germany there's this expectation that oh they could, like you guys could go far in a tournament and kind of previously always been the, the underdog and kind of no one really expected much from Germany beforehand 
So to suddenly be in this situation where, oh, they could do really well here, that must have been quite difficult to, to manage. Yeah, definitely. Maybe we expected too much from us. And then, um, I mean, the the game against Turkey was a close one, and Turkey won bronze in the end, so definitely well-deserved. Uh, sorry. <laughs> but... <laughs> but um, uh, you you might have noticed I'm a big uh, fan of Turkish Quidditch. Just but... a little bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so like it wasn't we weren't beating ourselves down like in the long run, but during the tournament it was definitely not so nice coming from the from being ranked number one, then um, in the end finishing seventh. But I think it's it's fitting to the way we performed in the end. So. It's all good in the end. Mm, sure, it's uh, good Good to have peace with it. Uh, obviously, they're moving on into 2019 uh, for the next European Games, um, which this time was another tournament in Germany, uh, this time in Bamberg. Uh, so another chance to be host, but this time on the, the continental stage. Um, and you did pretty well at this one too. Uh, obviously, beat Belgium on day one, who ended up, Finishing second overall because um, uh, well, you you then played them in the semi-finals and narrowly lost them on that occasion, uh, and then obviously ended up in the third place playoff and uh, playing the UK. In well, from what I've seen of the footage, was an incredibly entertaining game uh, as a spectator, um, and obviously just coming up short there, uh, the UK pulling pulling the win out of the bag from twenty points down. Um, so I guess the question here, uh, like how, how would you compare like, the 2019 European Games with 2016 World Cup? How do you think things were different how, over time? And how do, you, how do you feel about Germany's performance uh, at this tournament? Well, I think it was our best tournament yet, um, like from an objective uh, point of view. Um, we 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 still didn't reach the full potential, not winning third place uh, in the end. But as I said, we don't look at results all that much. Um, we we tend to look at what we can learn from a tournament. And in that tournament, we were shown how strong we can be um, when we trust um, the strengths that we have in the team. Um, we had a lot of handball players in uh, in that tournament, and uh, we I think we made use of them very well uh, on the on the more offensive plays. Um, and for the Belgium games, we developed a, a special anti-Belgium defense, um, pretty much on the car ride to Bamberg, I think. And uh, Stefan Wersching, our, our coach at the time, he was. Uh, he, yeah, well, he he understood it perfectly to use uh, all the knowledge and all the experience and all the skill uh, on the team. Um, a lot of the players also being coaches in their own club teams and having years of experience. So he he trusted us with trying out that new defense, and it was just it worked out really really well. Um, I remember Seppa Dewitt uh, telling me after the semi-final how exhausting it was and how hard uh, they found it to score against that defense. And um, well, it showed us that if we strength and if we play our own game, um, we can compete with the big teams in Europe. 
And yeah, it just felt great having all the support there, um, playing as the host nation again, and seeing how many people are in the stands and cheering for us. And yeah, spreading joy, spreading positivity, still going like in a really, really um, yeah joyous atmosphere. Um, even though, of course, also in that tournament we had our losses and. Um, uh, like the Belgium game or the UK game in the end. Um, but like for me personally, the, the semi-final against Belgium was the big game and that was the big success, even though we lost um, in that tournament. And like the, the team as a whole did not go into the third place match um, with the ambitions of winning it like at any price we we said beforehand like we had a team discussion and we said how are we going to do it are we going to go for the medal no matter what or are we going to end the tournament in like a positive team experience let everyone play who wants to play um and like not the like very strictly managed uh, substitutions that we had before that so um yeah, so that was what we did, and we all had a really great time. We we saw the tactical versatility that we could bring to a game, because so many different people played in that game. Um, yeah, it was an amazing. It was an amazing match. Um, yeah, I remember it quite vividly. Um, how how painful it was that we didn't catch the snitch in the end, even though, <laughs> uh, as I said, the uh, the game, in in like. On total, like in total, uh, was a really good experience. Apart okay. apart from that foul that kept me from playing, but yeah, no worries, Tom Stevens. I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm over that now. <laughs> it's it's all water under the bridge. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, sounds like you got some pretty fun memories from that tournament. Obviously, having it again in Germany. Um, I think that's a real testament to how well Ge- how well Germany organizes Quidditch tournaments. Um, certainly, all the ones I've been to, I've been really impressed with, and uh, definitely grown a reputation there. Um, but I found what you said there really interesting about how you came up with this new defense to play against Belgium on the way to the tournament. And I guess probably had a bit of time to train with it before, like actually playing, and then it just worked so effectively. Yeah, again, kind of must be so satisfying to think of an idea and then have it happen as you'd like it to happen. And so even though you didn't beat Belgium to finish in, in the, the top two places, um, obviously having that, I guess, success in a way uh, must be quite satisfying uh, despite the loss. Yeah, um, and... Th- and that's that's only possible in like a in an atmosphere of of mutual trust and um, not so much competition within the team. You know, not everybody wanting to show they're the best individual player or anything, but like making the the most out of a like um, with a good system. Not to say that we didn't have uh, shining individuals like uh, Julia Piazzolo. Scoring, I think, eighty percent of our goals <laughs> um, against Belgium uh, is is one example um, for for a star player that we will hear more from. I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, a name to be watching out for. 
Um, I also found really interesting how you were saying your approach to the third place game. Because those consolation games, certainly in my experience of playing, but also from what I've discussed with other people, they're, they're quite difficult to work out how to approach them and trying to get kind of uh, an approach that the whole team is happy with and that they're going to support. Because obviously with those big bracket play games, if you lose one of them, obviously people are quite upset, disappointed. Um, and some people, once they're out, they're like, right, that's it. Completely kind of, they might play on, but they're, they're mentally and emotionally switched off and trying to get them back up to that level where they're playing to their best is really difficult. Um, but I think it was really interesting there how you're like, right, we're going to play whoever wants to play out of our team, give everyone a chance to play in a big game against a very good team. Um, and I guess in a way that was probably quite freeing for you just to go, okay, we're giving everyone a chance to play. If we win, we, it's great. If we don't, we don't. Um, and that probably helped you perform the way you did. Yeah, in the, in the beginning, for me personally, I was a, a bit disappointed, to be honest, because I thought, okay, we, we came here to win third place. That was our team goal. Um, that was what we set for us. And then um, the team decided, um, like under great leadership by, by Stefan and Nadine, um, that we were focused more on the, on the positive team experience and in the end, even even though we lost that game, it was all fine for me. Even though I was like feeling um, more ambitious than just going in there and having a good time, uh, I, I for myself wanted to win that medal. Um, and even though we didn't, um, it was a really good experience, and I really cherish the the memories of that tournament still. So, great coaching decision, and yeah. Just a really well-rounded experience. Yeah, for sure. And uh, hopefully is a, a positive experience for other people on the team, kind of looking towards the future, uh, which we're going to do with this kind of last question of the main section of the interview. Uh, as we talked about Germany's kind of steady rise to the top of the European and kind of the top of the world game uh, to an extent. Um, kind of you, you're in amongst all these other big Quidditch nations now obviously got tons of players playing in the clubs. Um, got all of these volunteers and these really well-run tournaments and leagues and all these amazing things. Um, but just need a few more, well, need to win some trophies now. We need to win some medals. So <laughs> what do you feel uh, German Quidditch needs to do to reach this next level uh, in, in sort of Quidditch success, both at like a club level and international level well yeah honestly i think we're already on a very good path i think we only need a bit more time uh now because we like quidditch in germany started a bit later than quidditch in uk france belgium uh norway um turkey uh so we're we're catching up and i think um well yeah i would i would say um in a year or two we will be able to beat all of the top teams with a bit of luck and if, if the trends in, in European Quidditch continue, I would actually go as far as saying um, we will begin to beat them all consistently in like three or four years um, if we keep on growing like we do. And I think, uh, as you mentioned, there is a very well-organized structure in, in German Quidditch. 
Um, I'm, I'm not sure how unique this is, but we, we not only have the national team and a, like a national B team, the development team, but there's also um, uh, events like the Quidditch Academy, uh, which is like a Quidditch camp uh, in the countryside. It is held once a year. Uh, it's a whole weekend and every team can send players, uh, I think two players, um, to attend workshops. And all the other teams, like top teams and just people that want to bring knowledge or skills or tactics or anything to the table, um, they give those workshops. And so it's, it's not a culture of keeping your team secrets or your like individual secrets to yourself so you can be the best. Um, but it's, it's like a, a culture of, of mutual uh, trust and like lifting each other up and, and growth. Um, as the whole NGB. So I think this is what, uh, this mentality is with what will, yeah, keep, keep German Quidditch growing. And um, I think the trophies will come <laughs> <laughs> with time. Okay. So that's a kind of a case of being patient, trusting like the process and like the infrastructure that's in place um, and having a, a great events like the, the Quidditch Academy, which I think is a, really unique and interesting idea um but yeah just ha having having faith really uh, i guess the whole kind of the approach you have of sharing your ideas and really kind of having this sort of collective uh understanding of quidditch um because i guess th there's always this temptation within a team when you think of oh this, this amazing tactic we're going to use at this tournament and we're going to try and win it um it's quite tempting to keep those ideas to yourselves and uh be secretive but at the end of the day if you're sharing your ideas and obviously you want to keep some things to yourself but if you're sharing these general concepts improving everybody within certain teams and certain um well in the national team as well bit by bit every team's going to get better and because you're playing better games you're then obviously having to improve and as you said you're constantly innovating constantly thinking of new ideas so yeah i guess it's a matter of time really um from my perspective at least well yeah i hope that uh, covid doesn't or didn't um lose us too many players and too many teams um but as as i felt it um yeah Darmstadt, um including stefan who i mentioned again uh, organized this tournament from home, which was called the German Vaccination uh, Championship, and was like basically a fitness competition all over Germany. And loads of teams um, competed and attended. And the way I saw it, um, we didn't we didn't lose too many people um, to the pandemic. I mean, like not in not in a literal sense, but like being demotivated or getting away from the sport because it it's not just happening. Um, so I hope I hope the trend will continue. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to coming back to play. Yeah, for sure. That that sounds like a good use of time and, uh, to keep people engaged in Quidditch. So uh, fair play to Darmstadt for for organizing that. Super. Um, so we're going to move on to the mailbag section of the episode now. Um, as always, thanks to everyone who's sent in their questions. Um, we're going to give a few to Leander and see what he, he has to say. 
So, first one. Uh, how much mustard are you planning on bringing to the next Intergalactic Cup? <laughs> uh, all the mustard, of course. No, I think um, at Intergalactic Cup, um, one of the best things there is always the food. So, I don't plan on bringing much food from Germany, actually. <laughs> <laughs> you don't... You don't... You don't fancy, I don't know, getting a kebab, dipping it in some mustard, like a bit of a flavor fusion, no? <laughs> maybe, maybe. No, but I, <laughs> I, I trust the Turkish cuisine. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, this is quite a flattering question. Uh, what is your secret for looking this young? <laughs> okay, I look young. Um, <laughs> good to know. Um, Not that we can see you, of course. It's all audible, but... I can confirm Leander is a very youthful-looking person. <laughs> nice, nice to hear that. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's eating plant-based. Maybe it's playing lots of Quidditch, and maybe it's not even true. I don't know. <laughs> uh huh. Uh, so this one here uh, comes from Glenn in Belgium. It says uh, when people ask me how they can get better at faking. I tell them to watch two players, Jens de Grave and Leander Troll. I have been heard saying on multiple occasions, for me, Leander Troll has the best fake in the whole of Europe. This is something, is this something that you've trained, trained for, really kept in mind? Um, if so, how do you train it? Or is it something that just comes naturally to you? I, I reckon it was just something that um, kind of came naturally to me in a way and then I realized that it worked well and then like specifically improved it by by watching footage of other people do it um and then and then it definitely has like Harun Omar on the team who are even better uh, at faking and yeah looking at their moves and always needing to improve to still be able to fake someone mhm mm uh, as Jay Holmes often says, the fake is holy. And, uh, <laughs> certainly true when we watch you play. Um, I've seen goals where you've sort of ran all the way around the hoops to eventually put it in. Uh, yeah, it's uh, certainly a valuable skill to have. Uh, Matty would like to know, when will you finally wash your headband? Oh, I, I sometimes do. I sometimes <laughs> do. Um, well... I, I hope I get to get it dirty soon again. I mean, no Quidditch at the moment, so... so it's, not, it's nice and clean at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's good to know. It's good to know. Uh, so we've got another mustard-related question here. So the, from uh, Oslo 2017, what is the best way to get mustard out of your white Quidditch socks? Asking for a friend. <laughs> Um, I can say there is no no foolproof way. Um, mustard sticks to everything, and yeah, if you if you like the smell of it, it's kind of good. But well, maybe I need to get some new socks. <laughs> yeah, just it it stays with you forever. It really does. Um, we got a couple more questions for you to finish off. Um, this one here. Uh, what is your favorite tournament experience outside of Germany and why? 
Uh, well, I think I have to go with Intergalactic here because it uh, it is just uh, such a wholesome experience. It's great Quidditch, like really quality games. And then uh, the Turkish community, which is so welcoming. And um, yeah, well, they're just great hosts and they take care of everything. Um, so you just go there and you don't have to worry about anything like accommodation, uh, food, um, like they, they organize events um, for all the people attending and it's just so much good fun um, and all that in, in Turkish good weather and yeah or not so good weather the last time was a bit muddy <laughs> but <laughs> even that was great fun so um, yeah I think that's, that's my recommendation for the best tournament outside of Germany mm-hmm. it's certainly a, a good endorsement there so we had a card on the, the show a few weeks back. And, uh, he's telling everybody should should go to Intergalactic Cup. So it's good to hear uh, someone with a, a less biased opinion uh, saying that they should attend this tournament. Sounds great. Um, our last question for the episode. Uh, gets kind of a good note to finish on. What's your favourite moment in Quidditch? Ooh, wow, there are so many good... I think one of the one of the best moments um, that jumped right to my head um, is coming back in a game against Darmstadt uh, that we were I think ten goals down. Uh, it was the final of um, our uh, league final at the time. It was a different tournament. It doesn't happen anymore. But um, at that time, it was the all the best teams from all the regional leagues coming together and playing this tournament. And we we were up against Darmstadt in the finals, and it was really looking really looking uh, bleak. <laughs> it was uh, a bad loss coming up, and somehow we managed uh, to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps and find motivation to yeah to come back into the game, and we actually managed to win that game. Um, and yeah, it was just an amazing team experience. Mm-hmm. Certainly sounds like it. Obviously, down the years, you guys played dodged out so many times, but to face such adversity with that scoreline and to bring it back and win, yeah, definitely sounds like an incredible feeling. Um, that's all we've got for this episode. Um, but as always, uh, the end of this has been absolutely fantastic, hearing all about your experience with German Quidditch and obviously with Bonn and... Uh, it all sounds really positive what you guys are doing over there and uh, wish you the best of luck going forward once uh, we uh, get back onto, onto the field. Yeah, thanks so much for having me and I hope we can play some Quidditch soon again. <laughs> yeah, fingers crossed, fingers crossed. Uh, so we hope you, the listeners, as always, have enjoyed this episode. If you want to stay up to date with future episodes of the Total Quidditch podcast, please give the Total Quidditch Facebook page a like because that's where we'll be announcing upcoming guests and, of course, giving you a chance to send in your mailbag questions for those guests. Uh, So until next time, keep yourselves safe and live the game. Goodbye.